are to Philadelphia. And that's in chapter 3. We, look, we started it off last week and we looked at Christ's description of himself. He was holding the key of David. There were a couple of places in scripture where it talks about keys that you can open and no one can shut and, and you can shut things and no one can open. And we saw those keys in scripture called several different things. The key of David, the keys of the kingdom, and keys of death and Hades. And I figured since death and Hades are huge players in Revelation, that we better stop and define those terms and really look at what Scripture has to say about death and Hades and some of the other things that, are, that we find in Revelation, such as the lake of fire, paradise, things like that. So pull out your big fat handout that's on death and Hades. And we're just going to look at that. There you go. You all there? Okay. First thing is Hades is a Greek word. The Hebrew word for Hades is Sheol. Okay? They're the same word. And the reason we know they're the same word is because there is a New Testament passage that quotes an Old Testament passage. And they use their, their respective languages. I'm sorry, what was the word? The, the Greek word is Hades. The Hebrew word is Sheol. S-H-E-O-L. The, the Old Testament passage is Psalm 16.10. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. This is a messianic prophecy, by the way. In Acts, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. So we know for sure they're the, they're the same thing. So let's go back through the Old Testament and look at Sheol, because we know it's the same as Hades. And we can learn a ton about it from the Old Testament, because it is very pervasive concept in Jewish history. So, for one thing, they all believe that if you die, you go to Sheol. Period. The end. Alright? Doesn't matter whether you're good. Doesn't matter whether you're bad. So, look at Psalm 89, 48. What man can live and not see death? Can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? There, for the first time, you see death and Sheol linked. You'll find that all over the place. Death and Sheol, they go together. So you, and that's why death and Hades go together. Okay? They are linked. 2 Samuel 22.6 The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. Occasionally, they'll use another word for Sheol, and, and they occasionally call it the pit. So you can see that in Job. He keeps me back. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from passing over into Sheol. Okay, so there it's saying Sheol is the pit. So you, occasionally you can, you see the pit. You have to tell by context because there's different pits in the Bible. <laughs> Psalm 30, uh, verse 3. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. And this whole up-down thing is important too. You always go down to Sheol. Okay. Every time you see people refer to Sheol directionally, it's down. Heaven is up, Sheol is down. That, we didn't make that up as human beings. That's how they are described in the scripture. There is a lower level of Sheol, apparently. Apparently, Sheol kind of has like stories. Okay? And the lower, the lower level of Sheol is referred to as a place of suffering for the wicked. Deuteronomy 32.22 for a fire is kindled in my anger and burns to the lowest part of Sheol. And in, in Job, 
um, 24:19, it talks about it being burning or hot. Uh, the, both of these talk about being bur- about burning. Drought and heat consume the snow waters. So does Sheol, those who have sinned. That one, you know, you may not interpret as being heat related, simply being consuming the sinners. Um, it just depends on how you want to interpret that particular one. First part of it pretty well takes. takes care of it, doesn't it? Uh huh. Now, the, the thing that most people don't realize, though, certainly as Christians, is that the righteous went to Sheol as well, okay, in the Old Testament. Have we added negative connotations to Hades, or did the Hades in the original Hebrew? Is it- yes, we, we have added negative connotation to Hades, because, partly because it's associated with death, all right? But its role has changed over time. And so we're going to see that as we go through this. You're going to see, you're going to see some of that. But at least, you know, we're, we're talking Old Testament. We're talking pre-Christ right now. Everybody went to Sheol, good, bad, or indifferent. And so I want to kind of prove that to you from Scripture. Let's look at Psalm 86:13. For your loving kindness toward me is great. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Okay, so he's talking about the wicked, the suffering part of Sheol. And, and then if you look at Job, Job, who we know was a righteous man. You know, he's held up as one of the examples. Uh, God was proud of Job. And Job begs for release from his suffering by dying and going to Sheol. So obviously he wasn't expecting it to be worse in Sheol, right? One expecting to suffer in Sheol because he, he knew he was righteous. He said in Job 14:13, Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath returns to you, that you would set a limit for me and, remembering me and remember me. So he's saying, you know, I can't stand this anymore. Please just hide me away in Sheol until you're through being mad at me. Proverbs 15:24, The path of life leads upward for the wise that he may keep away from Sheol below. Okay, so it's saying, you know, when that when he goes to Sheol, he's not going to the bottom part, he's going to the upper part, okay? And the place that it's most easily understood actually is in the New Testament. It's in Luke. It's a story um, about the rich man and Lazarus. Now, this is not the Lazarus who is brother of Mary and Martha, okay? This is not the Lazarus that got resurrected. This is just some guy named Lazarus, okay? And here's the story. Now, now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. I mean, this is the utter picture of utter and abject misery now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom and the rich man also died and was buried in Hades he lifted up his eyes being in torment and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom and he cried out and said father Abraham have mercy on me and send Lazarus so he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in this flame but Abraham said child remember that during your life you received good, your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony 
And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over here from you will not be able to, and none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, then they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. How true is that, right? How true is that? But here we can see the two levels of Sheol, the lower level of flame and suffering, the upper level, which has been given a name, Abraham's bosom, okay? Separated by a chasm that cannot be crossed, but they can obviously see each other, talk to each other, okay? All right, that's, that scripture is probably the, the best visual that you can get of what's going on in Sheol and Hades. Okay, now Sheol and Hades are very often personified. They're often talked about as if they are actual spirits. And this kind of reminds me of some of the studies we had done back in Daniel where we looked at sun, moon, and stars, remember? Where there's kind of a physical reality, but there's a spiritual reality. You can see that in Revelation in the churches where, where the churches have a spirit that's called a star. Okay, this is, this is very scriptural that there would be a physical entity and a, and a spiritual reality. Okay? So Sheol, Sheol slash Hades, that's the physical, that's a real place. We're not, that's not fairy tale. Okay? That's a real place. But they also have a spiritual reality, a spiritual force. Okay? And here's some of the, the scriptures that talk about that. Proverbs 27.20. Sheol is never satisfied, nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. Proverbs 30.15. There are four. And I, anytime I put those little brackets, I've either taken out a ton of words and, you know, paraphrased for you, or I've skipped, skipped some words, okay? But if you go and look it up, you'll see I've retained the exact sense of what's happening. But there are four things that will not be satisfied. Sheol is one of them. Isaiah 28:15. Because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol we have made a pact. You you don't make covenants with places. You make covenants with spirits, with people, with you know, beings. Habakkuk 2:5. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol and he is like death, never satisfied. Hosea 13:14. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? And Revelation 6, verses 7 and 8. When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. So there is proof positive their spiritual Entities, okay, realities. Now, what you do in Sheol is wait, okay? You either wait in torment or you wait in rest, one or the other, okay, depending on which level you're in. Can you tell us how many levels there actually are? No. This, the question was, does it tell us how many levels there actually are? Um, you can kind of figure it out from piecing these scriptures together, but 
the scripture and the prophecy that we study is not as interested in, in us understanding the hierarchy of the spiritual world as it is in getting us the message to look at God. So you'll find that scripture is very clear and very repetitive on themes like grace and forgiveness and salvation and works and faith and trust and things like that. And it's very fuzzy on all this angelic stuff, okay? Because it's not what we should be focusing on. Now, I'm pulled all these little references out so we can kind of get a picture of what's going on with Sheol and Hades because they have an important part to play in Revelation. So we got all, this is like a definition of terms for us. Sheol is a place of waiting. The time for activity and decision making is past. You can see that that rich man, he was real sorry, right? But there was nothing he could do about it at that point. And, and that's, there's some more verses about that. Ecclesiastes 9.10 Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you're going. Okay? He's talking about there's none of these things you do in life. There's no, you can't make great plans to do something. It's not that you can't think, but you can't act like we do in life. Psalm 6.5 For there is no mention of you in death. In Sheol, who will give you thanks? That's the psalmist talking to the Lord. Isaiah 38:18. For Sheol cannot thank you. Death cannot praise you. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. It is the living who give thanks to you as I do today. God is able to see Sheol as you would expect. You know, God can see anything. And he is in control of who's going and who's not. If you didn't get that from these scriptures already... You know, that everybody's talking to God, either send me to Sheol or don't send me to Sheol. But he's the guy who's making the decision, right? So what it says in Job 26, 5, the departed spirits tremble under the waters and their inhabitants. Naked is Sheol before him. First Samuel 6, the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. And Psalm 139, 8, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. Now then we get to some really interesting stuff because Christ shows up. And Christ went to Sheol when he died, just like anybody else. This is tough. This is, we are not used to this. Not what we focus on. Well, hang on to that thought. Do, when, the question was, when we die, do we go to Sheol? So let's keep going because I think the answer is no. I just said, well, now don't get ahead of me. <laughs> let's, let's keep going because we're getting to the good part because Christ has showed up now. All right. Well, Christ died, went to Sheol, but he did not stay there. Psalm 1610. This is the Old Testament. Remember, this is the one where it says you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your holy one to undergo decay. Christ went to Sheol, but he didn't stay long enough to start rotting. Okay. Jonah 2.2. 2. And by the way, Jesus refers back to the story of Jonah. You know how Jonah rebelled against the Lord. Jonah was a prophet. He rebelled against the Lord. He ended up getting thrown overboard, got swallowed up by a whale or some big gigantic fish, and stayed in the belly of the fish for three days. And then the Lord caused, and he repented. <laughs> and the Lord caused the fish to vomit 
Jonah up onto dry land. That fish saved his life, you know, but, but it was like this period of three days. Jesus teaches in the New Testament that that was a sign of Jonah, that Messiah, when he came, would be dead for three days and then rise again. And he said, because they had asked him, the, the Jews had asked him, well, give us a sign. Give us a sign that you're really the son of God. As if they didn't have any already. He's healing the blind, you know, raising the dead, and they still want a sign. He says, you know what? Only sign you're getting is the sign of Jonah. And uh, here, here we have a quote from Jonah 2.2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. Matthew 12, uh, 38. This is uh, scribes and Pharisees talking to Jesus. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And here we go. Here's the quote. He answered them saying, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay? That's the down part. That's Sheol. Okay, so there's Christ telling them in advance he's going to Sheol, just like everybody else. Acts 2.29 Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, this is King David, that he died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this very day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. And that's where he goes back and he quotes that psalm that says, I will not allow my Holy One to decay. So then the question becomes, what did Christ do when, it, when he was in Hades? Did he go to Abraham's bosom? Did he go to the lower depths? You know what? I mean, obviously he didn't sin, but he was dying for our sins. Does that mean he had to go to the lowest depths of Sheol because he took on our sin? Look what it says. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Now talk to me here. What kind of people were on the earth at the time of Noah? Bad, evil, wicked. Where are they when they die? Lower depths of Sheol. Okay? This says Christ went all the way there to preach to them. It doesn't say what he preached. It, it says he made a proclamation. The word preach there means proclaim. So we don't know if he gave them a second chance to repent. We don't know if he, um, presumably he proclaimed his victory over sin, you know, but he was there. When he left Hades, we have a quote that says he brought back with him captives and led them to paradise with him. Look at Ephesians 4, 7. And this is a quote of Psalm 68, 18, by the way. 
But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does, and this is a continuation of the actual what's in the Bible. It says, what, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So here again, it's telling you Christ went to Hades first and then he ascended into heaven. And it says when he ascended, he led captives in his train. So the question is, were those righteous people that he was taking out of the upper level of Sheol and bringing with him into paradise now? Or was he bringing... The people out of the lower depths, you know, I tend to think the first, okay? I, I tend to think that that was when the upper level of Sheol kind of closed down. <laughs> because I think Christ went and got all, you know, David and Moses and all of those Old Testament saints. And Abraham's bosom basically moved to heaven, okay? That's just what I think from piecing this together, all right? You're... I'm giving you all the scriptures. You can sit there and ponder this and let the Spirit teach you. But now it, we do know that in Luke 23:42, remember when Christ was hanging on the cross and there, one of the thieves said to him, you know, please forgive me. Okay. And, and Christ said, and, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, Today, you shall be with me in paradise. Okay. So we know that where Christ and those captives ended up was paradise. From that point forward, we need to look at the New Testament teachings to see what happens to believers from that point forward. We know from the New Testament teachings that we now go straight to heaven when we die. Look at what it says. 2 Corinthians 5, 6. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer to be absent by, from the body to be at home with the Lord. We know where the Lord is. Where is the Lord? In paradise, in heaven, right? So right there it says, if we're absent from the body, we're at home with the Lord. Philippians 1.21 for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is even better. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. For I do not know which one to choose. But I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, because that's a lot better, but also to remain in the flesh is necessary for your sake. He knew that when he died, he was going straight to be with the Lord. Look at Revelation 6, 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God. These are martyrs. And because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told they should rest for a little while longer. So here's a picture. you got saints. They're right there in front of the Lord. They are in his presence and they are resting. They, they'd really like to 
a little more activity going on, but he says just rest a little while longer. Revelation 7, 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And he said to me, These are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer nor thirst anymore. Nor will the sun beat down on them nor any heat. For the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And will guide them to the springs of the water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Okay. So heaven is a place of healing. Restoration. A place where you're in the presence of the Lord. However, the question comes up. So what happens to the wicked? Do they just get a free pass to heaven? No. They continue to go to Hades where they are tormented along with the wicked who are still there. They, Hades is still a place of waiting. You're wait, they are waiting for the final judgment, the great white throne judgment. And their sentence is already determined. Okay? They will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Look at Matthew 11.23. This is Jesus talking. And you, Capernaum, that will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. He said, how blind you are. Revelation 20:13, And this is at the very end. This is the, where it talks about the great white throne judgment. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. So here's all the wicked. Okay, being brought before the throne. They were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. The wicked follow Satan. I mean, there's a lot of other things get thrown in the lake of fire. They follow death and Hades into the lake of fire. When Jesus refers to hell, he's not talking about Hades. He's talking about the lake of fire. And we need to be real careful when we use the term hell, okay? Both of them are hell, in a sense, right? But Hades is a temporary place. It's a place of waiting. The real death is the second death that is the lake of fire and is eternal. Eternal torment. Okay? Both of them are punishment. But the one we really care about is that second one. And when Jesus teaches about hell, when you see in the Bible his teaching translated and it says hell, he's talking about the lake of fire. And, and the, it's a different Greek word. The Greek word for Hades is not the word Jesus is using when he's talking about hell. He's using a word called Gehenna. It's actually a compound word that, mean, that refers to a valley named Hinnom, H-I-N-N-O-M. The Valley of Hinnom, Gehenna, is the, is the word in Greek. And that valley was a place just outside of Jerusalem where the Israelites, when they worshipped idols, would take their children and sacrifice them to the idol. Can you imagine the heartbreak that caused God? Just, it just, it's a wonder we're 
anything but cinders right now. <laughs> you know? but, but this lake of fire is named after that valley. Okay? And, and the word is Gehenna. Here's a, it's used in a ton of passages, and here is one of them. I, I listed them out for you, but here's one of them. Luke 12, 4. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Who alone has the authority to cast someone in hell? God. God. Your choices, you choose to follow God or follow Satan. And your choice to follow Satan is what results in God throwing you in hell, right? In the lake of fire. But God is the one you should fear. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Throughout scripture, Jesus also refers to Gehenna by other terms, but they always include fire. Okay, he, he uses the term eternal fire, furnace of fire, and he very often couples that with a description of that place as a place of darkness, outer darkness, where there is weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Big time regret. Okay? This does not sound like a place you want. I'm getting goosebumps too, you know. It does not sound like a place you want to go. We think of fire as producing light. This particular fire will produce torment without light. It will be a place of darkness. Matthew 25:40. This is part of a parable that Jesus, that Jesus tells them about um, judgment. And we looked at it last week. The king will answer them and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent you did this to one of the brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And he will say to those on his left, who are the wicked, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 13:49. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, this is Jesus talking to us, and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus also told uh, a parable about a worthless slave and in that parable, the end of it was, in Matthew 25:30, throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So with a good understanding of the lake of fire and what that is, you can, some of these parables that Jesus tells us begin to, to make a little more sense. Jesus didn't spend any time or much time at all talking about Hades. Okay, Jesus was concerned with telling us about the choices that were going to be permanent. And so when he's talking, he's pretty much talking about the lake of fire. There is another place, another word that was used one time in the New Testament. The Greek word was Tartarus. It's it's translated as the abyss. Okay, there is another word also translated as the abyss. Um, and I believe they are both talking about the same place. This particular place is a place for fallen angels, not for men. And Marvin, you asked me were there different, how many levels of Hades there were. I think there's three. Okay. I think there, well, there used to be three. I think there was the Abraham bosom 
level. I think there's the level, the lower level for men, but I think there's the abyss for the fallen spirits. Okay. That it could be completely separate places, you know, and like I said earlier, God isn't real specific about the geography, but there is definitely an abyss. And, and, and so if you see the word Tartarus or the abyss, this is what it's talking about. Luke 8:30. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He's talking to a demon that's in a man. He says, what is your name? And the demon answered, legion, for there were many demons inside this poor man. They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Okay? Second Peter 2, 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into, here it's translated hell, but the word is Tartarus, okay, which is the word for the abyss, and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, okay, they're waiting for judgment, then the Lord also knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So it's referring to this abyss as a place of waiting. Okay, And we're going to run into this abyss in Revelation. And in Revelation, it is also a place of waiting. That's why I link it with Hades. Okay, Because it's the same purpose. So I think there's three levels. And if you, you know, want to get crazy about geography there, it appears in, in uh, the New Testament that there's three levels of heaven also. Um, there is a reference where, where Paul had a dream that he was taken to the third level of heaven. So it would make sense to me that they're kind of mirror images of each other. It, God is a God of order, but it's not worth spending a lot of emotional energy trying to figure out. Because that's not the important part. Romans 10.6 But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss to bring Christ up from the dead. Ho, 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 looky there. We know Christ went to Hades, right? To Sheol. We know he went to the lower levels where the wicked were because he went and preached. But it appears he went all the way to the abyss. And apparently preached also to the spirits that were imprisoned there. Okay, so in summary, I gave you a quick reference sheet on the back because you you might want to look back at these terms from time to time as we're studying. And it, and it just summarizes what we looked at. Hades is the same thing as Sheol. It used to have at least two parts, one of torment and the other of rest and refreshment. Believers went to the part that was rest and refreshment, which was also called the bosom of Abraham. When Christ died, he went to Hades. It appears he led the believers out of Hades and into heaven. Now, Hades is the abode only of dead unbelievers. It's a temporary place of torment until the last resurrection and the great white throne judgment. Once judged, unbelievers are cast into the eternal lake of fire, which is the same thing as hell, Gehenna, furnace of fire, second death, etc. All those are synonymous for that permanent lake of fire. It is in outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Since Christ's resurrection, believers who die enter directly into the presence of God and Christ in paradise in heaven the abyss is neither Hades proper nor hell it is a temporary Hades is a temporary place of torment for unbelievers the abyss is a temporary prison and place of torment for spirits that have sinned I personally think it's part of Hades but doesn't really matter 
Both will ultimately be judged at the great white throne judgment and will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is hell. Various translations and Christians use the term hell indiscriminately against, uh, uh, to describe all these places. And that includes translations of scripture. Okay? So when you're reading, you now know the purpose of these different places and who is in them. So you should be able to tell from the context of the scripture that you're reading which one is being talked about. Did you have a question? Uh, if, uh, in other words, all until Christ's resurrection, there's still all these people that are still waiting. Yes. There's still all these people still waiting to be judged. Yes. In Hades. And believers in paradise are waiting to be judged as well. Okay? Everybody's going to receive according to their works, right? They just know they're saved. They go to heaven, all right, immediately. The judgment is about for them is about works and reward. What reward are you getting? Okay. So they're they're so they're going in and waiting there. Does it tell us that according to the works that they did while they were here, what level that they're going to go to when they go to heaven? The, the question was, does, does scripture tell us what level of um, heaven believers will go to based on their works? No. Because, you know, that's for God to know. So all we, all we are given to do is to be saved, to believe in Christ, and to walk in the works that God prepared beforehand for us. That, that's us. That's a concept that's always kind of beyond my grasp is why if we die and go straight to heaven why do we need to come back for judgment and the question was if if we die and go to heaven why do we want to come back for judgment why is that necessary if Christ died already and all that good stuff that's that's a great question and and the answer is uh, multiple there's lots of things but what look at Revelation 20 I think it's in 20 you're going to have to actually Flip around in your Bible for this. 11, verse 11. 2011. Mm-hmm. That's right. This is the great white throne judgment. I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence and there was no place for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Now, stop there. It didn't say the wicked dead. It didn't say the righteous dead. It said the dead. Okay? Everybody is standing here. Now, the books, which were plural, were the books in which were recorded our works. The book of life is the book in which was recorded whether we belong. That's like the honor roll of the lamb. Okay? Did you belong to the lamb or not? So then it says, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades are thrown in the fire, and anybody whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. From that point forward, the believers then received their reward according to what they had done. They, the book of life determined whether they were, you know, whether they were saved. But you get rewards in heaven based on your works. And there are verses that we looked at last week where 
your works are burned and if they are you know wooden straw if you were not doing the works that God had prepared for you beforehand your works are all going to burn up but you're not going to burn up it says you will be saved you will go to heaven but it'll be as if you had uh, somebody who had just lost everything they had in a fire okay those who learn to walk in the works that God prepares beforehand are learning you're going to God college okay you're going to learn to grow in wisdom in understanding in strength in the Holy Spirit and those things stay with you those are spiritual things those are not bodily things and you learn to become a quote ruler administer shepherd these are all terms used in scripture in the kingdom of God there is a hierarchy in the kingdom of God it, that is scriptural and we, we are going to look at some of that stuff the earth in you doesn't like you want everybody to be everybody you want everybody to be the same what if you're not taught that's right and that's and you know that that reminds me of another place in scripture where that was talked about because the disciples were saying well make us top right Jesus clearly taught them this you know and he said the first will be last and the last will be first <laughs> another place in scripture though that I find real curious right here that we just read because the sea gave up the dead that were in it and the death and the death of Hades gave up their dead why does the sea need it? oh what a great question it says the sea gave up its dead and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in it it is possible that those who are in the sea stay in the sea as a place of waiting I, it doesn't say, does it? No. I, it's not something I've ever stressed over, but I'm yeah. really curious. And, and, you know, it doesn't matter in the end because they're all going to come back for this judgment wherever you are. It, you know, I don't know. And that's the only place it really refers to that. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Did you have a question? Yes. Give me a definition of works. Works. Okay. Works are, according to scripture, your actions. Okay? And it is like our old saw that we say here on earth in this life. Don't do what I do, do what I say. That is an, a real good picture of the difference there can be between our outer actions and what we, you know, say. Right. The outer actions are what are true. Right. What we do really shows what's in our heart. It doesn't matter what I say. Right. I can talk a good talk, but unless I'm walking the walk, you, you can tell what my heart is, where my, what I really believe. It's like the, the scripture that talks about um, Jesus says you can't serve two gods. You're either going to serve God or you're going to serve mammon, you know, which was money was in one in that particular instance, the person he was talking to. So works are simply the natural outgrowth of what's in your heart. And so you don't have to worry too much about which work should I be doing because you need to worry about what is in your heart. Are are your eyes focused on God? Focus your eyes on God. Do what you see him urging you to do. 
people, Christians a lot of times use the term burden. I have a burden on my heart, okay? And that is, it's very real. God is very good about kind of putting a little pressure on your heart. That shepherd kind of nudges you to, to sympathy for a particular cause or a person. Or, or he keeps coming back and bringing some action to mind. I really need to pray for such and such person. Or I really need to go talk to such and such person. Okay, those are what I mean by doing the works that God prepares beforehand. Okay, so it's you're just learning to walk in His path. Does that make sense? It's not busy works. It's It's not busy works. It's it's heart works. Yes, Mm -hmm. because the work could be invisible. Generally, is okay. The work very often is prayer. The work very often is God is calling you to pray for a particular something. Okay? You are the prayer. That is the gap he has given you to stand in spiritually. God is about the spirit, not about the body. He, he will call your spirit. Now, you do have to be open to bodily things, to, you know, tithing and, you know, because God wants those first fruits. He wants to see you give up mammon, <laughs> you know, to him. And, and, and so he asks you to do very bodily things. He will ask you to become a fool for Christ. Okay? He will ask you to do embarrassing things. Just to step out on faith and to say, Lord, I don't care what other people think about me. I'm going to do this because I feel like that's what you want. It's a, it's, but it's not the thing that was important. It was that you were willing to be made a fool of for him. It's amazing how how much that's true. I mean, in what you do as you come closer to Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I was away for 46 years, and the more I come back in, the more I pray, the more I find that I'm unconsciously praying for things, mm-hmm. uh, praying for people, praying for events, uh, mm-hmm. praying for guidance for something mm-hmm. or someone mm-hmm. uh, doing things for other people without even thinking mm-hmm. things that I would never have done mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. and now I don't care right it, it really you you see a change you can look back and you can see a change after you have truly knelt and given your heart to God and you're given him control of your life and the more you do the less you care about what other people think that's right I think what we're going to be judged on is things that we haven't asked for forgiveness. Hmm. Like, if I sin today and I haven't asked for forgiveness mm-hmm. and I die, mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to be judged on. But prior to that, mm-hmm. if I have asked for forgiveness, mm-hmm. all those things will be forgiven. That's an interesting question. The comment was, if I, if I you know, regularly ask for forgiveness... You know, I am confident of that forgiveness. But if I die and I have not asked for forgiveness for the things I've done since the last time I prayed, am I judged on those things? And I don't find that in Scripture. I find that in people's teaching. And that was something the Lord had kind of pressed on me this morning when I was praying, preparing for this class, was... I hope that we come out of this class being able for ourselves 
to form our spiritual faith based on what we have seen with our own eyes in Scripture. Because so many of us have been taught from the ground up and we believe it because, well, we, we believe it. You know, somebody just taught us that. You know, told us in the Bible mm-hmm. that if you ask for forgiveness, you'll be granted that. Absolutely. She's, and, and what she's saying is... If you don't ask for forgiveness and you, and you have sin and you die... That's what he's going to judge us on. Well, I'm, I would challenge you to go back and find the scripture. And let's look at it together. Because any time that I find a scripture that seems to be at variance with other you know, general themes, a lot of times I find there's a context that explains that. Afterwards. Uh, yeah, or before. Okay. So that's right. So find that scripture and let's look at that together. Okay, because... I think that what Jesus says is the forgiveness was a gift from him. That's right. Yeah, now, Therese has a good, uh, good point. We need to forgive others because to the extent we're not forgiving others, we are sinning. You know, and, God, and it's very scriptural to say, you know, just because we have the grace of salvation does not mean we should go on sinning. <laughs> That's not the point, okay? But... We are, we will by definition sin. I mean, even trying our hardest. What it's saying is you try your best not to sin. The gift of salvation is a gift. The gift of forgiveness is a gift. What we are judged on in scripture talks about we are judged on our works. On the works that we have done. And they're just, you know, determined are they works of gold or are they works of wood or straw. And it determines, it's basically, a, you know, somebody takes, did you ever see Mary Poppins where she measures the children with the tape? She measures herself and says, practically perfect in every way, you know? That, and, and, and judgment is like a measuring tape, okay? It just says, okay, did this person grow? And the answer might be yes, the answer might be no. Either way, they're saved, okay? But it does make a difference as to which one you want run in, you know, the administration. It's kind of like going for a job then. That's right. So it's it's not something that I can I cannot sit here and tell you the criteria. I cannot sit here and tell you the jobs that there are in heaven. I cannot tell you the hierarchy, but I can tell you it is scriptural. There will be shepherds, administrators. You know, there there is hierarchy. I just can't tell you much about it because God doesn't really want us to worry about it. The lowest level is going to be so wonderful. Yeah. It's going to just be in there. It's going to be great. We're, we're running out of time, guys, and I don't want to get too far um, away. Let's look at, in fact, this is probably where we should stop. We're going to go through the letter to Philadelphia. We're going to start next week, and we're going to get to the rapture. It sounds like we've got enough food for thought this week. Take a look at these scriptures. Pray about it. Um, bring scriptures that you see that, that don't seem to fit or that bother you. We'll talk about them. But we're going to talk about the rapture. In order to do the rapture, we need, we're going to need to understand a lot more about the timeline and the events that happen at the end of the age. So we're going to spend some time, just like we did today on death and Hades, we're going to spend some time talking about what the timeline is at the end of the age what events happen, and where the rapture does or does not fit in that.